together to the very first page of your Bibles. This is the easiest sermon text you will ever find. We turn to Genesis chapter 1. We've just completed a short Pauline epistle in Titus. And so now I invite you to buckle up for a longer ride. As we get ready to see perhaps one of the most significant books in the Bible. It's no coincidence that I've waited almost six years to preach on this book. This is not something you jump into early in a pastorate. And so we'll be looking this morning at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Before we do so, let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You indeed, O Lord, have created all things by Your Word. And we ask this morning, Lord, that You would create in us a stronger love for the Savior, a greater understanding of who You are, and a more profound love for one another. That You would do this by the means that You have ordained Your Word and Your Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Our text is the first five verses of Genesis 1. Hear now the very Word of God. It is completely without error. It is sufficient. And it is authoritative. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. As I was growing up, I was very fond of watching sporting events. And if you are, let's just say, middle-aged, like me, if I were to say the name Rainbowhead, it would mean something to many of you. And if you didn't know that name, when I described Rainbow Head was the man who always sat on the other side of the goalposts with the huge multicolored afro. A wig that he put on so that everyone would notice him and find him. And what did Rainbow Head do every time the camera looked at the goalposts? He held up a sign. And what did the sign say? It said John 3.16. 
John 3.16 is a critical verse in the Bible. It is a great promise of the Bible. But I'm here to tell you this morning something that may be just a bit controversial. It's not the most important verse in the Bible. The most important verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. Because without Genesis 1.1, there is no John 3.16. Without Genesis 1.1, there is no reason for John 3.16. And the reason for John 3.16 is that God might be glorified in the redemption of wicked sinners by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of that comes and flows from the glory of God and His creation. And so this morning, as we embark on this long journey of beginnings, we're going to look at the most important verse in the Bible. And it's following four verses. And Lord willing, we will see this God of the Bible, this God who created all things, this God who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God Himself, to redeem a people. And this God who is right now preparing for His children a place with Him. This morning we will see, Lord willing, three things about God. We will see God the beginner. Excuse me, God the beginning. God the beginning. We will see God the creator. And we will see God the revealer. The beginning, the creator, and the revealer. God is indeed the beginning. You see, Genesis sets the stage for everything. The book of Genesis gets its name from the very first word, of the Hebrew and Greek Bibles. The Hebrew Bible and its Greek translation. Genesis is just a Greek word that means origins, beginnings. And that's exactly what this is. It is a book about the beginnings of the world. Think of the vast sweep of Genesis. Creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, And the division of all of mankind by language and by land. It's also a description of the beginnings of the church. Think of the stories of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joseph. It is also the beginning and the foundation of the Bible's story. What we saw in Revelation culminated is begun here in Genesis. The family, marriage, sin, redemption, even the garden itself with a tree and a river show up again in Revelation. This is the beginning of all things and we have the beginning of all things because God desires us to know. You see, God is the beginning, and the beginning is that God is knowable. We take that so for granted, don't we? We know things about God. But why? Because God has revealed Himself to us. 
And the first and foremost thing that we must understand that Genesis 1-1 teaches us that in the beginning, God created. That is, He created. We need to remember and declare from every treetop that God is not an it. God is not the force. God is not some impersonal, unknowable thing. God is a person. The Bible begins, the very first thing we get is an action. You know, I think sometimes that's the difference between an adult telling a story and a child telling a story. If you read a novel by an adult or you talk to an adult about a certain happening or a certain person, they always begin with some sort of prologue, right? They want to give you the background. And that's helpful at times. But if you talk to a young person, to a child, they always begin with something someone did. That's how they relate to that person. That's how they understand that they're a part of that person's life. And God treats us, His children, in the same way. He tells us first, I have done. I have acted. You see, God is not an it. Because God is personal. You know what it is like to be treated impersonally, don't you? What it is like to feel like a number when you go down to the driving agency or you try and do anything with Social Security or when you're registering for class. Oh, that's all good. You have a name. Yes, your name is Joe. Okay. Really, what's your number? I need to look you up by your number. And then you spit out some 12 to 16 digit number that you maybe have stored on your phone because you can't remember it. Oh, now I know who you are. You're Mr. 7834659. That is not God. God is personal. And that should remind us as we read Genesis 1-1 of a great truth we need to hear every day. You are not alone. No matter how lonely you feel, no matter how isolated you may be by circumstance, no matter how hard providence is upon you, you are never alone. You can go as far as you like to the most deserted island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and you are still not alone. There is a person with you, your Creator, God Himself. Is that encouraging to you? It should be, because we live in a society that is so fragmented and makes us alone. We sit in cubicles. We relate over computers. We drive in our cars from closed garage to closed garage. And we have less interaction than our forefathers did. And we need to remember that God is a person and God is relational. And that's why we are. And that's why we relate to others and why that is so important. God is personal. God is also one. He is the only God. You'll notice that it says, in the beginning, God created. It does not say, before the beginning, in the vast primordial pea soup of gunk, there was a speck. No. Before the beginning, 
was God. Before God, nothing. God has no beginning. He is one Himself, and we even see that in little glimpses here in the fact that the word for God is a a Hebrew word that is plural. It is a majestic word. It refers to power and strength, but it gives us just a shadow of a glimpse that God is one and yet several. It gives us a glimpse of the Trinity. Now, how do we know these things about God? How is God knowable? God is knowable because God is self-revealed. As you study the Bible, you must know that the Bible is not a research paper. Some of you have worked on research papers. You have the headaches and the paper cuts to prove it. And you know how that works. You go and you study all sorts of sources, books, you talk to people, you listen to things on audio, and you gather up all of this information, and then you summarize it with footnotes. That's not the Bible. The Bible is not man's effort to think and probe and research what God should be like and put it down. The Bible is God's declaration of who he is. Quite frankly whether we like it or not. He is God, and He reveals Himself. God comes down to us because He knows we are completely unable to figure Him out. We cannot know who God is unless He comes. And so this should also remind us that it is okay not to know everything about God. Some of you have children that have questions about God and the, and the nature of God and the universe. And they ask you question after question and you answer some of them. But then they get beyond your ability. And when the questions get really hard, you take an out. You say, well, ask the pastor. You can either ask him Sunday night or you can send him an email or call him on the phone. And I'm here to tell you that there are questions the pastor does not know the answer to. Because God has not given us everything about who He is. He is beyond our minds to even grasp. But we do know that we can know Him. Because He speaks. Our text tells us that too, that God spoke and He said, let there be light. We have the God, the God of the Bible, who speaks. That is so significant. That we can know who God is because He's told us. The other thing that we know that God is the beginning of is that God is the main character of the story of the universe and the main character of the story of the Bible. Again, perhaps like me, when you were in younger days and a little bit more headstrong, you would sit and talk with people and flip through your Bible and wonder what your favorite person in the Bible was. When I was younger, one of my absolute favorite people was Moses. After all, he had his own movie with Charlton Heston. Uh, for others, it's the Apostle Paul. For some others, it's David. And everyone has a character that they identify with and, and love and would like to know more about. But the main character of the Bible is not Moses. The main character of the Bible is not David. It is God Himself. 
It is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of the Bible is a testimony to how good He is, how glorious He is, and how much He loves His people. Does that thrill your heart? To know that the story that begins here is sketched out in such greater detail in the Gospels. Because if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is good. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is fair. Jesus is just. Jesus is gracious. So is God. This is who God is. He is the main character of our reality. He is actually... All of our reality is in the context of the God who exists. Do you wonder why right now you sit in your chairs and don't hit your heads on the ceiling? It's because God created, and God created gravity. Do you wonder why you breathe, and there's sufficient oxygen to put in your body, in your lungs, to go to the cells in your blood to pump? Why all of this happens, it all happens because of God. He is decreed to be so down to the most minute detail. He knows the number of hairs on your head, Jesus says. God is the main character of this story, and He dominates this story. Let your eye just flit on the first five verses of Genesis 1. The word God occurs Thirty-two times in Genesis 1. Thirty-two times in 31 verses. In this very short account of the first five verses, only 88 words in our version. Over and over again we are told, in the beginning, God, the Spirit of God, and God said, and God saw, and God separated, and God called. He is the one that this story is about. The Bible is not man's story. The Bible is not your story. It's not my story. It's God's story. Is God the main part of your story? Because you see, if the Lord is the main character in the story of all the universe that we cannot even describe how big it is, let alone know, Wouldn't it make sense that the Lord should be front and center in your story? Whether you're 8 or 88. That God is the main character in your life. God, the beginnings. But we also see here from this text, God, the creator. This is, of course, the main thing that we expect to see from this text. After all, it is the account of creation All of the section headings in your Bible will tell you that. It is the creation account. And we see here that God is the creator first and foremost because God alone created. Now, the Bible is very interesting. It begins with the really important question. It does not begin with the scientific questions that petty minds today dwell upon. How could this type of a fish lead to this type of a reptile? Why do white animals live here and gray animals live there? 
Why are the tides so big instead of so big? The Bible begins with a big picture question. A philosophical question. A question that is so important and critical that every two or three year old knows it. You know that great question that you get, moms? Why? 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 Have you ever tried to answer why with a procedure? Well, because... Why does it rain? Well, you see, the molecules in the clouds, they come and they get dense, and then it falls. Why? Well, you see, it's a part of electromagnet. Why? Always trying to drill up to where the main question is, and that's where the Bible begins. It doesn't start with petty questions. It says, why is the world the way it is? And in reality, there are really only three options. I don't care whether you have three PhDs from MIT, Harvard, and Yale, or you haven't graduated from high school. The three options you have are, something came from nothing, everything always existed, or God created all things. That's it. Every other philosophy is a version of that. Why do things exist? Well, either there was a time when there was nothing and somehow nothing produced something, which makes absolutely no sense, or everything always existed and then there was a big explosion or a warp field or a photon torpedo and somehow it morphed into a bunny rabbit. But you see, if we think about it, those who take refuge in that because they say it's impossible to believe that there's a God, well, they don't want to believe that God's always existed, but they're willing to believe that a big blob of ooze has always existed. Or a spark has always existed. That's what they're willing to believe. And you see, one of the things Genesis tells us is that we need not be ashamed of declaring that God is God and He has created. That is an intellectually honest answer. It's also true, but it is nothing to be ashamed of in the highest circles of academe. But believing in science doesn't mean that you have to throw God out the window either. The two greatest scientific minds, in my opinion, that the earth has ever created, Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein, both declared that God was the creator of all things. Because, you see, they knew so much about the world and its workings that they knew there was no other way. Now, we might not know exactly who this God is that's created. We're going to find out a lot more about Him. That's the purpose of this book. But to be honest, we can say that God has created all things. And God created all things, this text tells us, out of nothing. This is the famous Latin phrase that we all know, right? Ex nihilo. It means God did not have to take the soup or the blob or anything else and make it what is now. There was nothing, and God spoke. And then there was everything. God 
created every single thing out of nothing. Now, this contrasts the creation story of the Bible with every other creation story because every other creation story focuses on the creation of gods. The Babylonians, they had a creation story. It was about how the sea and fresh water somehow sprang forth gods. And those gods created other gods. And those gods created other gods. And they created stuff. The Greeks didn't know what to figure out. And they said, well, you know what I think it is? It was the earth and the sky. And somehow from them it sprang forth Titans, and Titans sprang forth gods, and gods sprang forth humans and stuff. But the Bible says no. There was nothing for God to work with. That's how powerful God is. Everything created out of nothing. And He didn't need any help. He didn't need anyone's advice. Not yours, not mine. He didn't need any help or assistance in doing this. Because He's God. And He's powerful. And He created all things, brought all things into being. This word here for created is a very specific word. In all of the Old Testament, this word is only used when its subject is God. And it means not just to fashion something, but to bring it into being. You know, we talk about being creative as people, right? We talk about artists and musicians who are creative or or carpenters or other woodworkers or metal workers. They create things, don't they? When was the last time you saw an artist speak his own paint? Or bring into being the tree that would become the wood that would become the woodworking? You see... We've even kind of lost the concept of what it means to create because we think we can do this because we think we're like God when this isn't true. God speaks things into existence. He brings the world into being. Not just some things. All things. Do you see what verse 1 says? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this is a, a prototypical way that the Bible speaks of everything. You do it, don't you? From A to Z. From soup to nuts. Right? The Bible is telling us that every single thing that there is, God has created. And all of these things were created by Him, by His Word. And He created these things purposefully. He took order out of chaos. He created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. These are the famous rhyming Hebrew words, tohu wabohu. They even sound kind of ominous and unformed, don't they? But these words do not mean chaos and disorder and destruction. What they mean are uninhabited, unproductive The earth was formed, but it was not formed for itself. The earth was formed that it would be inhabited. We learn here from this text that the entirety of creation was created for man. We'll see more of that next week. God created everything that He would create man that His glory could be seen in redemption. Man is the culmination of creation, isn't He? 
Jesus became man. And so God created things purposefully. He took order from chaos. And so verse 2 is not a catastrophe. It is not the earth was created and somehow Satan messed it up and God had to do Mr. Fix-It. It is not God did a bad job the first time through and started over. No, verse 2 is actually an extension of verse 1. God had created the world and it was uninhabited and then he began to inhabit it. And we will see that next week. God does this work of forming order out of chaos in steps. Look here. The Spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth. Hovered over the waters. And then God spoke. And then God separated. And then God named. And this tells us that this is how God works. Let me tell you something else by way of encouragement from creation. God is not finished with you. You are not as far along as God will have you to be. God is at work bringing an order of holiness and goodness in your life that will culminate in the day in which you are like Jesus Christ. That's how God works. That was his first project. Making order of chaos. God is the beginning. He is the creator. But he is also, we see from this text, the revealer. Because in this creation text, God reveals who we are and who He is. Do you see here that creation and its story is for man? Man is not just a part of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. He made them inhabitable. And He made day and night so that we might know the truth of who He is. And the power of who He is. I mean, do you see here, day and night as they are separated out, show order and blessing in all of God's creation for His people. Day is not at war with night like it is in so many fables. Because night is pronounced as a part that is very good later in this chapter. There is day and there is night. There is no part of your time, no part of your existence that God has not created good and is not redeeming now. There is no part of your life outside of the eye of God. This text also reveals to us something that there are times we wish were not true. It reveals to us that God is the creator. And as important as we are, we are the creature. Newsflash for you. You're not God. Sometimes it feels like we have to be, doesn't it? We feel like unless we solve this problem, it'll never get solved. Unless we fix this financial mess, it'll never get fixed. Unless we give the advice, it'll never get done right. Genesis 1.1 tells us you can relax. You're not God. That job is filled. Let Him do it. There's a great comfort that comes to that in knowing that we are the ones who are cared for 
He is responsible for us. He blesses us. But there is also value in knowing that we are a creature created. Because that tells each and every one of us that we have value. Some of you young people will go through this in life. And if you don't think it's true, find someone older than you. Maybe not your parents, so that you know it's an independent comment. Where someone will come up to you and demean you and make you think that you have no value at all. You're stupid. You don't play sports well. You don't know how to do things. You don't have enough gifts. You don't have enough toys. You don't have enough money. You don't have the right car. You don't know what you're doing. You don't live in the right place. And the older you get, it it changes, doesn't it, older folks? But it kind of ratchets up. Because the older you get, the more you realize, I've already lost time in which I could do all these things that people say I can't do. And I'm getting very nervous. What do I do? And some people fall into despair. Because they say, there's no hope for me. I have no value. The world would be better off without me. And I need to tell you that the world is not, it's a wonderful life. If you jump into a river or you play in traffic, Clarence the angel does not come down and show you what life would have been like. God tells you ahead of time that you have value and you have purpose in God's sight. No matter how tall or small or big or thin you are. You have value because you are created. You have purpose. Remember that. God also reveals who He is. God reveals who He is in history. You see, the beginning is the beginning of action. God is involved in history. But it is not just history. It is a doxology. What's a doxology? Look in your bulletin. A doxology is when we sing... Well, we have the glory of pottery this week. The doxology is when we sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Genesis 1 is an account of praise because of who God is. You see, this tells us so much about God that God is perfect. Did you ever think that the earth is the exact distance from the moon that it needs to be? A little bit closer, we're a fireball. A little bit further... An ice cube. Did you ever know that we need the moon rotating around the earth in order to keep us stable in our rotation? Did you know that the sun is the exact perfect color? That if it were a little bit redder or a little bit bluer, photosynthesis would not occur. And there would be no plant life and there would be no animal life and we would all be dead. Do you know that the rotation of the earth is the perfect speed. If it were slower, things would freeze on the other side of the sun. If it were quicker, like in Jupiter, (coughs) there would be thousand mile an hour winds all the time. The gravity that is on this earth is perfect for us to not have our internal organs all messed up. How marvelous is this world as we go out and we look and we see and we have to account that this is from God. To look otherwise is to say that at a junkyard, 
I could put a piece of TNT and blow it up and the result would be a shining Rolls Royce. Now we think about that and we say that's ridiculous, but that's what people say about the world. God is fashioning these things. He is perfect. He is marvelous. The last thing this text tells us about that we need to remember is that no one, I mean no one, challenges God. There is nothing out of control here in this creation, is there? In every other creation account, there's always like the wicked brother or the evil twin doing something to mess things up. Not here. No one challenges God. Is that a comfort to you? Because you see, no matter how powerful or scary we think Satan is, Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. You see, God is in, is in control of our lives. There is nothing spinning out of control. This story is not just a nice story. It is the beginning of a powerful, glorious story of our relationship with God and the One who created us. And we will see how God not only had the power to create the world, but the power to redeem the world, and the will to do so in His Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You have declared to us how powerful You are, how good and glorious You are. And we ask this morning, Lord, that You would remind us each day that we have purpose and value because You have created us. And that we can know true peace and purpose through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I would ask that You would grant us the repentance to repent of trying to be God. To repent of trying to judge You. And rather, Lord, that we would rest in You and all that You have done in Jesus. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.